Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for today. Father, I thank you that your word is true, and your word says that your mercies are new every morning. Father, I thank you for this opportunity that we have. Father, to come together, may we never take it for granted, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you that you have uh, granted us, Father, the privilege of, of gathering. So, Father, we enter into this time with grateful hearts. Father, with expectancy and with great joy. In Jesus' name, amen.
Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus, God, for that truth, God, that you reign over all the earth, Father, that you are seated at the right hand of the throne of God, Father, you've accomplished all that you came to do, the power of sin is broken, the power of death is broken, Father, we thank you for your great love. We thank you for salvation. Father, we thank you, God, that your love endures forever. We thank you that your mercies are new every morning. We thank you, Father, that we can come. Father, that we can abide in Christ. For we know that apart from you we can do nothing. So we come today seeking you, Lord. Your word says if we seek you, we will find you. If we seek you with our whole heart. <coughs> so I pray today, God, that we would be attentive to the leading of your Holy Spirit. That our hearts would be good soil to receive, to produce fruit in our lives. God, we thank you that in Christ we are new creations. For those who have accepted Christ as their Savior, their Lord and Savior, Father, they have been born again of a new nature, born of the Spirit. So I pray, God, that we would walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. And for those who haven't, Father, given their lives to you, Lord, I pray today would be the day that they would submit unto you, Lord, and receive salvation that can only be found in Christ Jesus. So bless the reading of your word today. Bless your people, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Psalm 34, verse 14. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. We serve an awesome God, a great God, a God who is slow to anger and full of compassion. And we're told here in this scripture to turn from evil and to do good. As we go into scripture today, we're getting back into the study of the, of the Bible. We're going to do some in the Old Testament, some in the New, then in Psalms, and then in Proverbs. And as we've opened up this study, I've encouraged y'all as we're going through it, to, I'm really praying that this will get us closer to God, and we really get a big picture of who He is, and how great He is, how awesome He is, that He is faithful to His Word to accomplish what He has already set out to do. And we see it. Man, I've encouraged you before, man couldn't write this and put it together. Now, man wrote it, but they were inspired by the Holy Spirit to pen these words that we hold, this truth that we have access to. And the Bible says it is the truth that sets us free. We all know that because of the fall in the garden, man is now enslaved to sin. All of us. We were born into this nature, this rebellion towards God. 
But the good news is, is that Jesus came. That God knew our condition. That he loved us. Yet though we were in complete rebellion towards him, he loved us. That he sent his one and only son to liberate us, to free us from this enslavement of sin. This nature that craves evil to do wrong, to stay in a constant state of chaos and confusion and disorder, of pain, of hurt, of neglect, of perversion. I mean, you name it. This nature that is in rebellion towards God is, it, is on a path of destruction. That's all it knows and that's all it leaves in its wake is destruction. And we're called here to turn from evil and to do good. And hopefully we know by now that in and of ourselves, we can't do that. We need Jesus. We need the Holy Spirit. We need to be born again. When Nicodemus came to Jesus, he asked how he could enter into the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, you must be born again and born again of the Spirit. This new way of living. So if you're in Christ, you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible says he's given us everything we need to live a godly life. We can choose to do what's right. We can choose to say, I'm not going my way. We can choose to say in Christ, no, I'm not acting out any longer. I'm going this way. I'm learning how to live now. I'm learning how to do what is right And in that pursuit of doing what is right, my life is going to honor God. I'm a Christian. And in that, I'm going to search for peace. That wholeness. Nothing missing, nothing broken. That wholeness. I'm going to search for it. And not only am I going to search for it, but I I have it in Christ. But I'm going to maintain it. I'm not going to freely just give it away. Because life presses up against me. Another encouragement of going through the Bible is I'm hoping that we would be encouraged to see that we can live as a righteous people in a wicked world. We don't have to go the ways of the world. And we see that all throughout Scripture, average men and women, there was nothing special about them. They were just average men and women. God chose to use them in their generation to take a stand for God, to live for God, to honor God. And so as you go to Genesis chapter 50, wrapping up on the book of Genesis today, and then we're heading into Exodus, but Genesis chapter 50, verse 1, last time we were in Genesis, Jacob died. Joseph, if we remember, Joseph was sold into slavery slavery because his brothers were jealous of him. Jacob, Joseph's father, thought for many years that Joseph was dead. A famine took place. Jacob ended up in, I mean, Joseph ended up in Egypt. And Joseph went through a lot of stuff, had a hard life. But we see in Joseph's life that Joseph honored God 
And God purposed everything that took place in Joseph's life for such a time as this that we read when the famine hit that area. Joseph found favor not only with God but with Pharaoh. And he became kind of like the second in charge over Egypt. And so we see that in this time there was a reconciliation that took place with Joseph and his brothers and Jacob ended up coming over to Egypt. And so they all had this incredible reconciliation. And the good news is there is that we can see that our God is a God that reconciles. He can heal the broken relationships. He can restore that which is broken. He can bring order to it. But Jacob died. And we see this picture here in Genesis chapter 50. Verse 1, Joseph threw himself on his father and wept over him and kissed him. Then Joseph told the physicians who served him to embalm his father's body. So Jacob was embalmed. The embalming process took the usual 40 days and the Egyptians mourned his death for 70 days. When the period of mourning was over, Joseph approached Pharaoh's advisors and said, Please do me this favor and speak to Pharaoh on my behalf. Tell him that my father made me swear an oath. He said to me, listen, I'm about to die. Take my body back to the land of Canaan and bury me in a tomb I prepared for myself. So please allow me to go and bury my father. After his burial, I will return without delay. Again, we see Joseph, this humbled man. In a wicked generation, we see him still humble, even at the point of mourning his father's death. He didn't go and demand a Pharaoh. He still honored his position in which he was given. And there's something that we can learn there. In our lives today, are you honoring the position which you've been given? Rather it's in school, rather it's at work, rather it's wherever you may be. Are you living a life, especially if you're a Christian, are you living a life that you're honoring God with what you've been given? Because that's how we ought to be living. A life honoring God. No matter our circumstances, Joseph wept, and we see him weep. We see him emotionally distraught over his father's death. But even in the midst of all of that being distraught and all of that emotional issues that are going on, he didn't lose himself. And I think that's a lesson, again, that we can learn. That just because things may, we may be hurting just because things may not be going our way, just because, you know, there may be death or destruction, that we don't have to lose sight in still honoring our God. I mean, he requested to go. He wanted to honor his father's request. And then look at verse 6. Pharaoh agreed to Joseph's request. And I want to back up to verse 5 because I love what he says after to them to tell him, I will return without delay. I'm not going to take advantage of what you're allowing me to do. And that just goes back to your, our character. Are you taking advantage, again, of what's been given to you? 
Are you manipulating situations? Are, are you just trying to work out all the details? Joseph was a man that honored his word. Like, I'll return without delay. And Pharaoh knew his character. And Pharaoh agreed to Joseph's request. Go and bury your father as he made you promise, he said. So Joseph went up to bury his father. He was accompanied by all of, by all of Pharaoh's officials, all the senior members of Pharaoh's household, and all the senior officers of Egypt. Joseph also took his entire household and his brothers and their households, but they left their little children and flocks and herds in the land of Goshen. A great number of chariots and charioteers <laughs> accompanied Joseph. Wow. Joseph, remember, is not an Egyptian. But yet Pharaoh and the Egyptians are honoring Joseph. Again, we see that the favor of God is upon Joseph, not because there was anything special about Joseph. He was just man. But he served an awesome God. He served the one and only true God. And what God has planned, what God has purposed, God will bring about. And in Joseph's generation, in that wicked generation, Joseph, who was righteous, who was not perfect, but he was righteous. He was in right standing with God. He honored God. And in doing so, he was honored by the very ones who were wicked around him. And not only was he honored, but his family was honored. God help us to see in our generation as it's growing darker and darker out there in the world that we as God's people will continue to grow brighter, that we would be people who honor our word, that we would be people who will honor God, that we wouldn't you know, entrust it to ourselves, but that we would continue to allow God to be entrusted with our lives, to honor him, to say, God, not my will, but your will. God, I don't know how you're going to get me through this situation, but God, I'm clinging to you. I'm, I'm holding on to you, God. God, I've tried it all in my own strength, and it has done nothing. So, God, I'm turning to you because I know, God, that you can bring about what you've purposed in my life. Because remember, God has prepared good works for us to do. Even before we were born, even before he placed us in our mother's womb, he has prepared good works for us to accomplish for his glory. And we see this incredible picture here of these wicked people honoring God's people. It says here in verse 10, when they arrived at the threshing floor of Atad near the Jordan River, they, had, they held a very great and solemn memorial service with a seven-day period of mourning for Joseph's father. The local residents, the Canaanites, watched them mourning at the threshing floor of Atad. They then renamed the place which is near the Jordan, Abel Mizraim, for they said, this is a place of deep mourning for these Egyptians. So Jacob's sons did as he had commanded them. They carried his body to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave in the field of Machpelah, near Mamre. 
This is the cave that Abraham had brought as a permanent burial site from Ephron the Hittite. Now after burying Jacob, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had accompanied him to his father's burial. But now that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers became fearful. Now Joseph will show his anger and pay his back for all the wrong we did to him, they said. Wow. Many years had already passed. But they still had some unresolved issues. They thought for sure now that the father was gone, that Joseph was going to remember how they wronged him. And that, that he was going to then in turn, turn on them. And that just goes to show, are there any unresolved issues in our heart today? Are we holding people to the past? Because we ought not to be. We ought not to be. These guys should have already seen and known their brother's character. They should have already seen that what God has planned, God has brought about. Above all, they should have seen God in the midst of this. But instead of keeping their eyes focused on God, they begin to turn inward. What about me? What's going to happen to me now? What's going to happen to us now? I wonder if they remember this, or wonder if he remembers that, and how is he going to respond to us now? These unresolved issues of the heart. Listen, if we've got unresolved issues of the heart, we need to give them to the Lord. We need to trust God. We need to forgive, and we need to allow ourselves to be forgiven. And so they sent a message to Joseph. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you, for their sin in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of the God of your father, beg you to forgive our sin. When Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. <coughs> then his brothers came and threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we are your slaves, they said. Pleaded. They've stated their case. And Joseph wept. Joseph has already forgiven them. They've already again been restored in Joseph's sight. And as I thought about that this past couple of weeks, I think sometimes we kind of get in that cycle with God. <laughs> like we try to bargain with God. We try to tell Jesus, okay, well, you know, you know, I, I, this or that, and we, and we try to, you know, just, you know, manipulate him. <laughs> and then Jesus says, I've already forgiven you. I was reminded of the scripture where it says that as he thought he, he, our sin, he no longer remembers. He cast them as far as the east and this to the west. He remembers them no more. Like when you come to Christ and you ask for forgiveness, like you're forgiven. You're forgiven. You don't have to be provoked by fear like, oh, wonder if he remembers. <laughs> like he's forgiving you. He says he remembers them no more. And so there's this beautiful picture here that we see that we can have that freedom in Christ to know that we have been forgiven. 
wholeness. We're not held to our past. We're free people. We can move forward. We don't have to remain in bondage or enslaved. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God? That I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. There's a few points just in that scripture that we can find encouragement. The first point is, is that we're not God. And that we ought not to make others afraid of us. If people have wronged us, it's not up to us to get them back or to one-up them. No, if they have wronged us, we forgive them. And we forgive them freely because we've been forgiven. We've been forgiven. If you are in Christ, you have been (laughs) forgiven. So what you have freely received, give. And Joseph says, who am I? Am I God? That I can punish you? No. And so we ought to see ourselves with this understanding that we are not God. We are humble men and women before a living God. And as we have been forgiven, so we forgive. And we're not out to punish people. We're not out to hold people to their past. We're not out just to, you know, control people. No. We're not God. We're we're not punishing people. And then we see here, again, what they intended to harm Joseph. God intended it for something better. And sometimes in the midst of our uncertainty in life and things happen to us and we can't figure out why people did what they did to us and all this other junk that we try to figure out, we just got to get to a place where we can just trust God. And we can trust what the Word of God says. That God would turn it around for the good. For those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That God would turn it around for the good. And Joseph was reminding his brothers, what you intended to harm, for harm, God intended it for something better. And could you imagine if you really started believing that? Like these people intended it to harm me. But God intended it for something greater. There's a greater purpose in it. And it was at that specific time that Joseph had to find himself in Egypt, a servant of God, a servant of Pharaoh, (laughs) so that ultimately God's people get to Egypt to accomplish God's purpose. But also in the midst of that, Joseph was specifically there for the famine. So it says here, he brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. So do not be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. Wow. So Joseph and his brothers and their families continued to live in Egypt. Joseph lived to the age of 110. He lived to see three generations of descendants of his son Ephraim. And he lived to see the birth of the children of Manasseh's son, Machir, who he claimed as his own. Soon I will die, Joseph told his brothers. 
but God will surely come to help you and lead you out of this land of Egypt. Now, that's important. Did you hear that? Because you remember when we started? Like God promised his people this land, the specific area. But it seemed as if God's people shifted and God moved them to another land. But Joseph is reminding his brothers, God is faithful to what God has promised. And so God will surely come to help you and lead you out of this land of Egypt. He will bring you back to the land he solemnly promised to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath, and he said, When God comes to help you and lead you back, you must take my bones with you. So Joseph died at the age of 110. The Egyptians embalmed him, and his body was placed in a coffin in Egypt. Wow. The life of Joseph, you all. It's a life that we Christians can be encouraged by. A man who honored God. A man who did not hold grievances in his heart towards others. A man who should have every right to be bitter and angry, but he chose not to be. He chose to arise each and every, in each and every circumstance to do what's right and not what's wrong. He chose to go the way of God and not the way of man and not the way of his flesh. His people now, or his family now, is in Egypt. And we know that ultimately the 12 tribes of Israel represents these 12 brothers. God's people is in Egypt. And let's take a look in Exodus now. And we're going to read Exodus chapter um, 1 through 2, verse 10. These are the names of the son of Israel. Remember, that's Jacob's name. Who moved to Egypt with their father, each with his family. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. In all, Jacob had 70 descendants in Egypt, including Joseph, who was already there. In time, Joseph and all of his brothers died, ending that entire generation. But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and filled the land. God's people, the Israelites. God birthed a nation, Israel. And remember, God's purpose for this nation was ultimately to bring forth the Messiah, Jesus. Because remember back in the garden, God told the serpent, I'm going to send one who ultimately will crush your head. And so we're seeing God's plan being fulfilled. And now we're seeing that these Israelites are multiplying greatly in the land of Egypt. We see Joseph and his brothers and their generation die off. And listen how interesting this is in verse 8. Eventually a new king came to power in Egypt and he knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. He said to his people, Look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. 
If we don't, and if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us. Then they will escape from the country. This new king knew nothing about Joseph. It's interesting. That from generation to generation to generation that led up to this king, this king knew nothing of Joseph. And now he looks at the people of of Israel and says, we have an issue on our hand. They're multiplying greatly. So the Egyptians, in verse 11, made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Pitten and Ramses as supply centers for the king. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all their demands. These are God's people, you all, who have now been taken into slavery. And they are being treated shown no mercy, treating, being treated harshly. I mean, listen to how it was described there. These are God's people. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but when life is rough, when, when it just doesn't seem fair, things don't seem right as a Christian, you can grow bitter. You can grow to a place of, 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 of anger or resentment or, you know, feeling whatever you feel. But we ought not to. We don't know, again, the purpose it is being served in our lives and the goodness that's supposed to come out of it. God is sovereign over all. His people were in slavery, but he didn't forget about them. He knew exactly where they were. He knew exactly what they were going through. And that may upset some people. But who are we? We're we're just mere man. Who are we to question God? We've got to trust God in the midst of it. We trust Him. Their lives became even more difficult. But I love this picture that even though they became more difficult, they kept growing. And we even see that in the church today and throughout the church, you know, since the church was birthed on the earth, that the more it's persecuted, the more that the world comes against it, it grows. It grows. It grows. It grows. It doesn't make sense to the natural mind. It doesn't make sense that when such great persecution is taking place, that the church will grow. But it does. Again, as believers, we're not living according to the natural mind. We understand that we're now grafted into a kingdom, the kingdom of God. And the ways of that kingdom are quite opposite of the ways of this world. And so again, we have this understanding. 
But yet, though times can get hard, that's where the, the, the goodness of God is even displayed more and the more growth that takes place in our lives. So don't curse the season you're in. Don't grow weary, the Bible says, in doing good. For in the right time, you will reap a harvest if you faint not. So we're not to grow weary. We're not to give up. We're not to walk away from God. No, we're to continue and to trust him and to cling to him. Then we see in verse 15, the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order. Now again, the Egyptians kept, I mean, the, the Israelites kept growing. And so now the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives, Sifra and Pura. When you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If the baby is a boy, kill him. If it is a girl, let her live. But look at this. But because the midwives feared God, they refused to obey the king's order. They allowed boys to live too. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives. Why have you done this? He demanded. Why have you allowed the boys to live? And the Hebrew women are not, and they said, I'm sorry. The Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, the midwives replied. They are more vigorous and have their babies so quickly that we cannot get there in time. So God was good to the midwives. And the Israelites continued to multiply, growing more and more powerful. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. These two women, they went against the order of the king. <laughs> they feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River, but you may let the girls live. This guy was insistent. He needed to stop the Israelites from growing. But remember God's plan, you all? Remember God's plan? This nation had to come forth. These people had to expand. These people had to multiply. God's plan will come about. The Messiah, Jesus, would come. Amen. And nothing, no Pharaoh, no man, nothing will stop God's plan. And that should be good news for us today. No matter what we're facing, nothing can stop what God has purposed. Amen. Chapter 2. About this time a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. Remember the boys are being drowned. She saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papaya reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She put the baby in a basket and laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. The baby's sister then stood at a distance watching to see what would happen to him. Soon Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river and her attendants walked along the river bank. When the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her. When the princess opened it, she saw the baby. The little boy was crying, and she felt sorry for him. 
This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. Then the baby sister approached the princess. Should I go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you, she asked. Yes, do, the princess replied. So the girl went and called the baby's mother. Take this baby and nurse him for me, the princess told the baby's mother. I will pay you for your help. So the woman took her baby home and nursed him. Later, when the boy was older, his mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her <laughs> own son. The princess named him Moses, for she exclaimed, I lifted him out of the water. Wow. Again, God's plan, you all. Moses is on the scene now as a child. But God will work through him and make him a deliverer of God's people. And I love the fact that Moses' mother brought him back. I can only imagine her inner turmoil. But we see in the beginning that she already knew that he was special. She saw that he was special in verse 2. A special baby and kept him hidden for three months. She didn't know the plans that ultimately God would have for her son. But she knew that there was something about him. And so Pharaoh's daughter took him in. And yet again, we're going to see another one of God's people be, grow up, if you would, among the heathen, among those who are evil. And God will raise up Moses, like I said, and as you should know if you know the story already, to lead God's people out of Egypt. And again, it's foreshadowing the Messiah, Jesus, who ultimately is the greatest deliverer because he leads God's people out of our enslavement to the flesh and to this world. He delivers us from the evil one who oppresses us, who keeps us burdened and heavy laden. No, he delivers us. So again, as you go through the, the Old Testament, and as, as you're reading it, as you're studying it, it should give you insight of Jesus. Because that's all that it's leading up to, Jesus. His rule, his reign. Go to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16, verse 13. And we're going to read through chapter 17, verse 9. We left off the last time we met, when we read through Jesus and his disciples through Matthew. They had a run-in again with the Pharisees and the Sadducees demanding a sign from Jesus. And now we come to verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, 
who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? And this is a very important, if you would, period of time. Jesus called his disciples. They have followed him. They've seen him do miraculous signs. They've seen him teach with such great authority. And now he's beginning his purpose, if you would. He's heading to the cross. He's going to now shift from doing the miraculous, if you would, constantly, though he will continue to do and perform miracles, but he's going to start now focusing in on truly who he is and why he came. And so he turns to them and he says, who do people say that I am? And people have all different answers. You can do the same today. Get out there and ask people, who do they think Jesus is? And you're going to hear a lot of different answers. But the important question is, who do you say he is? Who do you say that he is? And so he turns to them and he asks them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Then he sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Man did not teach Simon. God revealed it. It reminds me of Paul. Paul says, the gospel that I preach, man didn't teach me. No, God was pleased to reveal himself to me through his son, Jesus. Now, yes, you are taught the word of God. But the revelation of Christ being the Messiah, the Savior, only comes from God. There's a lot of people who have been taught the word, but they have no revelation. They, have no, they, haven't, they haven't accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. And how sad to know the word and yet not know the word, Jesus. And so he says to him, God revealed this to you. And upon this truth, not upon the person, but upon this truth, is what Jesus is going to build his church on. That he is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And upon this truth, the gates of hell cannot prevail. Upon this truth, we are given authority as believers. Upon this earth. And so we have to grasp this fullness, you all, of who he is. That Jesus has come already. We're not waiting, if you would, for the first round. 
We are waiting for his return to take us into his kingdom. But until then, we're to be living kingdom-minded. That he is the son of the living God. That he is the Messiah. That we, The Bible says that we have been engrafted into his kingdom. And so we live as such. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us what we need to live godly lives. He's given us gifts and abilities to accomplish what he has called us to accomplish in our generation. As long as there's breath in our bodies as believers, there's work to be done. That's great news, you all. And look at verse 21. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law, that he would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. Now he's plainly telling them. Because remember, the disciples, and the majority of the people at that time, they wanted an earthly messiah. They wanted a, a, a Messiah that would come to overthrow Rome and to free them. They lost sight of the true identity of the Messiah. The one that would come to ultimately liberate God's people and usher in a new kingdom. Help us, God, pray that we don't lose sight of truly who he is and why he came. He plainly told them over and over. And then it says here in verse 22, But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap for me or to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Wow. Peter approached him and began to reprimand Jesus. No, this is not going to happen to you. Heaven forbid that this happens to you. He was still seeing it through his natural eye. I love how Jesus responded. Get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. And sometimes, well, not even sometimes, in our lives, we need to be careful of others that are speaking into us. People who want to give us um, instruction or advice or talk about our situation. Because if they're not in agreement with God's will for your life, you ought not to be listening to them. You ought to see them for who they are. You ought to listen carefully to what people are saying. If it's not in an alignment and an agreement with God's will for your life, you ought not to be listening to them. They are a trap for you, to drag you down and to keep you thinking temporally as a natural person. And all that a natural person knows to do is to live out of the flesh. 
And all the flesh knows to do is to die. All the flesh knows to do is to rebel against God. But that's not how you ought to be living. Careful whose counsel you're listening to. Careful. If they're not in agreement with God's will, then have nothing to do with them. See it for what it is. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you want to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. The call of a disciple, a student of Christ. This is the same as it was for them, so it is for you today. These are the men he, he, he called to himself. And yet here we even see him telling them, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man, listen to this, will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. And I tell you the truth. Some standing right here now will not die before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Again, he's pointing it back to the purpose of God. God's kingdom. He's pointing it back to his purpose. And then he's also given us this incredible insight <coughs> to the very nature of man. Our souls. What's worth it? To lose your soul. What, 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 what's worth it to, to lose what God has purposed and designed for you? This life, this eternal life with God. What in this world could compare to his love, to his plan? He says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And again, we see this picture. No greater love than this, that a man will lay down his life for his friend. And that's what ultimately Jesus did for us. He laid his life down. And in that, he's calling us to the same life, if you would. Because love cannot be displayed unless it is laid down. A life is laid down. As you go through your day and you're, and you're saying no to the flesh, as you're going through your day and you're honoring God, love is being displayed to all, to creation, to everyone. Love is being displayed. They may not agree with you. They may not honor God because of it. Because the Bible says that to some you will be a fragrance of life, to others you will be a stench of death. But to live your life in such a way that honors God. That honors God. That your life would be saved by losing your life. By giving up the old and receiving the newness of life. He goes on here, or goes on here, chapter 17, six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain to, to be alone. 
As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. And Peter exclaimed, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son, who brings me great joy. Listen to him. Then the disciples were, the disciples were terrified and fell face down on the ground. Then Jesus came over and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they only saw and they only saw Jesus. As they went back down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Wow. What an experience these men had, you all. To see Jesus. Wow. Transformed. Imagine the brilliance of, of, this, of, 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 his, of the light that was being shown and displayed. This encounter that they had. And there was, there, there was Moses and there was Elijah. But to me what really stands out in this is God spoke. The Father spoke. This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Mm. Listen to him. If there's anything we take, yes, an incredible experience, yes, the, the transfiguration of Christ's body to be this brilliant light. What really stands out to me is when the Father says, listen to him. And it will do us good to listen. Jesus to listen to the leading of the Holy Spirit to his word because he is the author and the giver of life you all and life in abundance go to Psalm chapter I mean Psalm 21 written by King David. How the king rejoices in your strength, O Lord. He shouts with joy because you give him victory. I know that's such encouragement for us today it ought to be. That we too can rejoice in the strength of our God. Amen. Not in our strength, but in his. And that we too can shout with joy because he's given us the victory in Christ, you all. No matter what we're facing. You know, as you think, so you go. If you're all, if you're nothing but negative and around and negativity, then that's all you got. <laughs> we got to start surrounding ourselves with good things. With good people. <laughs> People who influence us for godliness. 
and not wickedness. Jesus has the victory. He's obtained it. It is finished. And in Christ, if we're believers, then we too have that same victory. Not because of anything that we have done, but all because of what He has done. And we too can rejoice in the strength of our God. In verse 2, For you have given Him His heart's desires, and you have withheld nothing He requested. You welcome Him back with success and prosperity. You placed a crown of finest gold on His head. He asked you to preserve His life, and you granted His request. The days of His life stretch on forever. Your victory brings Him great honor. And you have clothed him with splendor and majesty. You have endowed him with eternal blessing and given him the joy of your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord. I love this. The next part. The unfailing love of the Most High will keep him from stumbling. You will capture all your enemies. Your strong right hand will seize all who hate you. You will throw them in a, flame, in, in a flaming furnace when you appear. The Lord will consume them in his anger. Fire will devour them. You will wipe their children from the face of the earth. They will never have descendants. Although they plot against you, their evil schemes will never succeed, for they will turn and run when they see your arrows aimed at them. Rise up, O Lord, in all your power, with music and singing, we celebrate your mighty acts. Amen. Listen, you all, there's wicked people on this earth who mock God, who mock Jesus. Wicked people who will try to lead people astray from what is true. Wicked people ultimately have to face God. Mm. We don't have to fight with them. We don't have to yell. We don't have to scream at them. We don't have to curse them. No, we're to love our enemies. Mm. We're to serve them. Because ultimately, did you hear what takes place? God is going to deal with them. God will deal with the wicked. So don't remain their victim. If you're in Christ, get up and be a victor in Christ. And forgive them. Let them go. Don't let them burden your soul any longer. Forgive them. Free them. Let them go. God will deal with them. You can rejoice in the strength of your God. Mm. And you can shout with joy because he's already won. We're not waiting for his victory. He's already won. So you can rejoice. Like when it's time to worship, I want, I want to encourage you to press in to worship. Allow the words of the songs to, to, to be sung over you. Let them captivate your heart to where you look to Christ and, and you just worship Him. Hmm. And worship too is just not while music is playing. Worship is your life. It's your lifestyle now. And all you say and do, you should be worshiping God. 
You should be growing intimately more and more because we never will arrive fully until we are with him. So while there is breath in our bodies, we're continually seeking after him. We're like that deer panting for water. Constantly in need, you all. Do you see yourself that way? As a Christian? Like, I am constantly in need of Christ. Because apart from Him, I can do nothing. Apart from Him, we just go back to what we know. Hoping that that will satisfy us, but it never will. He alone can satisfy us. And it's like what we talked about last week. Are you satisfied in Christ? When you see that you're going in the opposite direction, be quick to say, why am I choosing this? Why do I sense that I'm not satisfied with him? Be real with him and then with others. Get accountability in your life. Hold each other accountable. Because ultimately, this is how we're living now, as unto the Lord. And we too can rejoice. And we too can say, rise up, O Lord, in all your power. Rise up, O Lord. Go to Proverbs. We're closing here, chapter 5, verse 1 through 6. Proverbs, chapter 5, 1 through 6. The book of wisdom. So pay attention. Verse 1, chapter 5. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen carefully to my wise counsel. Then you will show discernment and your lips will express what you have learned. Well, that's a good word right there. Pay attention to his wisdom. Listen carefully to his wise counsel. Then you will show discernment and your lips will express what you've learned. Again, there's a lot of people who hear the Word of God, but there's no growth in their life. They're not listening carefully. They're not applying it. Because where there's application, your lips will speak it. You will show. It just comes naturally. You don't have to work at it. When you're growing, when you're maturing, it'll be evident, not just to yourself, but to others. Because you're not talking like them. You're not acting like them. There's something different about you. And your lips are expressing what you've learned. You're telling others of the good news. You're sharing the good news with others. You're encouraging others to live righteously and not wickedly. He goes on here. For the lips of an immoral woman are as sweet as honey. And her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end, she's a, she is as bitter as poison, as dangerous as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. Listen to this. For she cares nothing about the path of life. She staggers down a crooked trail and doesn't realize it. Think of that. This picture of an immoral woman, a loose woman, 
A woman bound by perversion and destruction. But let's just look at it too as for what it is, sin. Sin. Careful what you're tempted by. Careful of the flesh and careful of that which looks good. Because this immoral woman, listen to what it says here, for the lips of the immoral woman are as sweet as honey and her mouth is smoother than oil. She looks right. It tastes right. But it's not good for you to give in to it. Because in the end, it's as bitter as poison. As dangerous as a double-edged sword. Her feet will only lead you to death. That's what sin does. That's what the flesh does. Her steps lead straight to the grave. For she cares nothing about, look at this, the path of life. She staggers down a crooked trail and doesn't even realize it. Mm. Careful of the company that you're keeping. Careful of the friends and the people who you're allowing to have influence over your life. If they look like this immoral woman, you better run from them. If they're not willing to go the ways of Christ, cut them off. Go a different direction. Go a different direction. Because if not, they're going to lead you to destruction. See, as Christians, we are to be, we are to be the leaders. We are to be those sharing our faith with others. They don't want it. Then move on. Doesn't mean you hate them. Doesn't mean you think you're better than them. You're not. But you do want to put truth into practice in your life. Because who you hang around represents really what's going on inside you. And then people will say, well, Jesus hung around sinners. And yes, he did. But Jesus never lost sight of who he was. When Jesus was around sinners, he spoke of repentance, of righteousness, of truth. And they were drawn to that because they were hungry for healing. But when it came to a place where Jesus was telling them, this is how you have to live, this is what this life looks like, they said, this is too hard for us. And so a lot of them left. So you have to ask yourselves, are you following Jesus? Are you following the immoral woman? Are you following those who are just leading you down a path of destruction? Because you ought not to be. You ought not to be going the ways of this world, you all. You ought to be living a standard of truth of righteousness and honoring God and being content and satisfied in Christ, being discipled, growing up and, and realizing what does it truly mean to be a Christian? Because again, there's a dying world out there. There's a lot of people who are going the way of the immoral woman. She looks good, feels right, but in the end, something but death. Death. And what good is that? 
good is that? When Jesus himself says, I've come to give you life and life in abundance. It is the enemy that comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So I pray that you would be, that you are encouraged with today's teaching, that you would go back through this week, read through these scriptures, allow the Holy Spirit to really bring forth wisdom, discernment, and ultimately allow fruit come from your life as one who has surrendered to Christ, honoring Him in our day and our generation so that others would come to know Him. Amen? Amen. I'm going to close this with this last song and then I'll close this in prayer.